This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Twenty-nine. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Monday, February fifth, two thousand and twenty-four, and twenty-nine is my word of the day. As in, twenty-nine other teams could have done it. It's only February fifth, but it's never too early to have a potential quote of the year, which is a list that we don't do at the end of the year. Which I think we're going to start doing in two thousand twenty-four. Why wouldn't we? So many great statements. We could do top five press conferences, top five statements, top five quotes. Gavin Lux of the Los Angeles Dodgers and several other Dodgers started talking yesterday about Shohei Otani, about the season, because they're the first team to report to spring training because the Dodgers and the Padres are starting their season on March 20th in South Korea. And so the rule is when you open a season internationally and it's before regular opening day, you get to slash have to report to spring training early. By the way, that's one of the expenses that gets covered by Major League Baseball. When a contract happens between a team and baseball for a team to play internationally, one of the refunds you get so if it's a home game, generally, and I haven't read this, but Dodgers Padres are playing two games. The general rule is that each team loses a regular season home game. So they'll play 80 instead of 81. And so MLB, as part of its payments to the teams, pay them back for the revenue they lost by losing a home game. So it's a home game. The other expense that you have, and Coca, you can confirm because it's Monday morning, why not have you confirm it that, it that the Dodgers will bat last one game and the Padres will bat last one game, so it'll be considered a home, one home game each. Another added expense is opening of spring training. There is a rule in the collective bargain agreement that tells you when you have to force players to come to spring training, when you're allowed to force players to come to spring training. Players don't love coming to spring training. And that's the day that you start paying them per diems. That's the day when they have to have their physicals by. All of those things are accurate, but there's an expense. So I would get a budget each year. Here's the cost of spring training per day. 
Then we would count backwards from opening day because I think the rule is, let's say, 40 days, 43 days, whatever the number is for pitchers and catchers. Then there's another number for position players. And the baseball people would always want to start spring training on the first possible day. And Larry Beinfest, our former uh, GM and then president of baseball operations, always wanted to start spring training on the first possible day because he didn't like when spring training would start for other teams and he'd be sitting in the office. He wanted it to start, wanted to have the players there. Then years ago, we used to have physicals for the players and then the next day we'd have workouts. But when you have physicals for players, you are paying the per diem, you're paying the spring training expenses. So we said, here's a better idea. Let's do the physicals in the morning and do our first workout in the afternoon. So we're at least getting them training if we're gonna be paying them. And so the argument would be, let's just start spring training a couple days later. What's the difference? We'll be ready. We had our pitching lined up. We had our starting rotation lined up. So you line up when the pitchers are gonna start, how they're gonna get built up. You have the number of at-bats pre-planned, uh, assuming no injury. There's a board where each player's name is and then the number of at-bats we wanna get for that player during spring training. And then which games the players will play and how many at-bats they'll get. It's all totally coordinated. And so, Often Larry would win and we'd start spring training the first possible day you can. And it would be fine because in Montreal, you'd wanna come south for spring training. But when you're in Miami, you're going north for spring training. It's already nice weather, what's the difference? You don't get that excitement of the truck leaving from Miami to Jupiter, like who gives a crap? So the Dodgers are reporting February 9th, which is the agreed upon day to report in anticipation of starting the season on the 20th and 21st of March. Then they come back from Korea and go back into spring training and have more spring training games. As you may imagine, there is a lot of excitement around this game and the Dodgers and Padres were always the Korea games to open the season prior to Otani and Yamamoto signing. Now, of course, it's an outstanding result for baseball having Otani there. So the interviews. The comments, I'm gonna start easy and nicely and slowly and wonder why Levitard is texting me in the middle of a live show and it's too long for me to read. Otani is ready to go, he said. And I thought to myself, ready to go where? Ready to do what? He's ready to be the designated hitter. Dave Roberts said, during their winter fest or recently, they're gonna start with Betts, then they're gonna go to Freeman, then they're gonna go to Otani, a murderer's row, the 27 Yankees. This is a team that won 100 games last year, according to Pakota projections, and this was just released today. The expected record for the Dodgers this coming season is 164 and minus two. I've not seen that before, but it is incredibly impressive. And it shows you what kind of favorites the Dodgers are having spent all this money. Their rotation, questionable. Bueller not back until the middle of the season at best. Dustin May, maybe at best. Clayton Kershaw not even signed. And if he does, it'll be later in the season. Otani, absolutely not. But Otani said, I feel great. 
he told reporters he's very confident he'll be ready for opening day. And he's talking about Korea, not the regular, regular opening day, which I think is March 28th. He said, as far as hitting goes, I'm already swinging close to 100%, so everything's going as planned. I should be ready for Korea. As far as the pitching side, we still haven't really started anything. Well, of course not, because he's not pitching at all this year, because he had Tommy John, which he's still not calling Tommy John. As a matter of fact, he's saying, compared to my first surgery, this is his quote through his interpreter, I feel like this time around's a lot quicker and everything's just a lot smoother. Here's a little medical advice from someone who doesn't practice medicine, but has been around Tommy John's for decades. You don't know about your recovery until you start throwing. You don't know about your recovery until you start spinning balls. You don't know about your recovery until you throw off a mound and then see how you feel the next day, then pitch five days later off a mound and then try that again. Every pitcher who's had Tommy John who has that crazy brace removed where you can't move your elbow at all. Every player always says the same thing. I feel great. I'm working my ass off. I'm ready to go. So I really don't put a lot of credibility into what Otani is saying. He did hit six, seven, eight months after his first Tommy John. So do I believe it is possible he'll be ready to DH? Yes. Do I think that he is going to be a 41-20 hitter this year and that it's going to go completely smoothly? No, because part of getting him to pitch next year is that he's got to start with throwing progressions. And with throwing progressions, there's soreness, there's anxiety, there's potential scar tissue, there's potential setbacks, and all of those can impact his ability to hit. So Tani is all excited, MLB is all excited. They're gonna have him all planned to meet with sponsors and meet with VIPs and sign a bunch of stuff. Then they start going to the other players. Mookie Betts was interviewed and he said that every game we play, we already know is gonna be the other team's World Series. That level of cockiness, and Mookie Betts happens to be a really great guy off the field. That's the story when you win the World Series and then you meet your team in spring training the following year and you say, hey, we're no longer gonna surprise everyone. Everyone's gonna bring their A game when they play us. So we have to bring our A game every day. Every team is told that, but of course the Dodgers can't bring your A game every day. That's why you don't go 162 and zero. And the funny part about the Dodgers pretending as though everyone's coming after them as though they've won the World Series is that, of course, they did not win the World Series. And so what they're thinking is that the other teams are jealous that they have Otani and Yamamoto on a high payroll. Maybe everybody went after the Mets like that last year or the Padres or the Yankees as though it had been like a World Series. So in all of my years, never once did I hear Players say before a game, oh, let's get them. Until the end of the season, when you can play spoiler and stop teams from being in the playoffs so you can have misery loves company. But like game seven against the Mets or game seven against the Astros, game seven against the Texas Rangers this year, oh, we're coming after you, Texas. I'm not buying it. 
Freddie Freeman, he decided to talk. Believe me, I wish buying a championship meant we win a championship. I love you, Freddie. But I think anyone in this game knows how hard it is to win a championship. I'm just glad our ownership gave us a chance to do it. There's not one word I would change about his statement, his quote. Of course, players would rather play on teams with higher payrolls, but of course he's right. He's been around the block. Winning the offseason doesn't matter. You have to win the season. Good on you, Freddie. How about you, Gavin? What do you have to say? How can you not go out there and try to get the best players possible? 29, call back to word of the day. Other teams could have done it. So I don't see how it could be bad for baseball if everybody else could have done it. Well, Gavin, let me give you a quick economics lesson. Because all of the falsehoods being promulgated by all of the union hacks talking about how the Dodgers deal with Otani is a deal that 29 other teams could have done, that your team could have done, how dare your owner not do that, does not exactly understand what deferred money means to your balance sheet. It doesn't understand what deferred money does to your team a decade from now. There is no other team. Now, you'll hear the San Francisco Giants. I tried it. We, we offered the same thing. All of these different teams trying to save face, hey, we right there. It's just not accurate. So all of this leads me thinking, are we witnessing history? Is this the best team ever put together? Do people view this Dodger team as somehow as good as they thought the Padres or the Mets or the Yankees were gonna be last year? Or dare I say, is this Dodgers team better than the best Yankee team of the Jeter, Posada, Pettit, Rivera? Is this Dodgers team like the Mariners of 01? Could they win 116 games and be the best of all time? So let's go to the videotape and let's see what the DraftKings win total is for the Los Angeles Dodgers. 103.5. And that's a great win total. Are they a couple games better than last year? Yeah, maybe. Healthy Otani? Do they have questions in their rotation? Do they have questions in their bullpen? Is there a chance that Betts and Freeman will finish in the top four of MVP? Is Yamamoto going to somehow start 35 games? Is Glasnow going to somehow not get injured? Will there be no adjustment period for Yamamoto and he'll come in dialing? Anyone who thinks that these Dodgers, as a matter of fact, Coca, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Well, I manifest that through wait to sees. Here we go. Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, fine. The Los Angeles Dodgers will win fewer than 116 games. Book it, Coca. Mark it in the document that we track on davidsampsonpodcast.com. And as for you, Gavin Lux, I would like a written report of the 29 teams and how exactly they would have been able to sign Shohei Otani for 70 million a year for 20 years. Just let me know 
submit the list, and then maybe I'll retract my criticism of your absolutely infantile statement that 29 other teams could have done it. There was a time, I don't know, Coco, was it a couple years ago? Wait to see is the thing I do, and I love revisiting them because when I'm right, it's fun. When I'm wrong, it stinks. And this show has two wait to sees that I have to catch you up on. One, I was wrong. One, I was right. Theo Epstein, way back on January 15th of 2021, in what has been an open wait to see for two years, I said, Theo Epstein is not done. Oh, it's three years. That's unbelievable. 24 in between. Three years. Theo Epstein is not done on the team side. That's what I said on January 15th, 2021, right here on this show. Guess what? That's a yes. Because this weekend it was announced that he's going home again. And they say you can never go home again. He's back on the island. Yes, I'm on season five, episode nine of Lost. No, nobody has spoiled it for me yet. And yes, I can't sleep. I have 19 episodes plus 17 minus nine is eight. I'm down to 27 episodes of Lost. I can't wait to review it and talk about it on a show. 27 episodes, it's 40 minutes an episode. That's two thirds of an hour. So just call 27 divided by three is nine. 27 minus nine is 19. Call it 19 hours, 18 hours left. Oh, that's two days. What an announcement. What does it mean that Theo Epstein is back with the Red Sox? I want to explain. First, it means that he realized he had like this great epiphany. Epiphany number one, I will not be the commissioner of baseball. Epiphany number two, I will not be the principal owner of either an expansion team or an existing team. Those are pretty obvious epiphanies. The latter one he certainly had first. The former one may have taken a beat. What do I do now? I'd rather want to live at home, want to be with my family. I want ownership. That's good enough. How about ownership? Wonder whether Steve Cohn offered Theo ownership. Yeah, I want ownership, but I don't want to have to go to every game. I want ownership where I'm just sort of a consultant. Is there a team out there that has a bunch of different assets that does a bunch of different things where instead of working directly for the team, they can announce that I'm working really for the entire conglomerate. I can get my fingers, knees, and toes in a bunch of things, maybe buy a soccer team at some point, or maybe an F1 team or an F3 team. But really what I'm going to be doing is baseball. But we can say that I'm doing a bunch of other stuff and I get a piece of the pie. Bingo. The Boston Red Sox. They're perfect. Fenway Sports Group. They're the ones who are bringing in Theo as a consultant, except contrary to what the report was, and the report was a doozy. The report was that Theo's gonna be dealing with Red Sox, but also really gonna be giving advice and counsel on all, not Craig, on all of the different assets of Fenway Sports Group. You know, I really think we could have done better than Real Madrid. I think we should have gone after Mbappe. On top of that, I'd like to introduce the possibility of analytics to Roush Racing. And if you don't mind, I'd like to go there and explain how best to do line changes in Pittsburgh. 
He actually said upon the announcement, Theo directly, in my new role, quote, I'll be asking questions, offering opinions, building trust, and supporting the terrific people at Fenway Sports Group to help us reach new heights. Hey, Tiger, that should be a five iron, man. Horse hockey. He'll be in a bunch of meetings. He'll be on a bunch of emails where he'll get to read a bunch of stuff. May even get to see a few financials, doubtful. But I wonder whether he'll be actually sitting in there when it's decision time for all the assets of Fenway Sports Group. This is all about the Red Sox. This is all about Fenway Sports Group saying, hey, you may think we don't pay enough attention to the Red Sox. You may think that we're not in signing all these great free agents. You may think that we're totally distracted by all other assets, including the strategic sports group, which we're leading to save the PGA from those meanies in Saudi Arabia. So here's what we'll do. We'll bring Theo back. And he's the one who brought their chief baseball officer into the game, Craig Breslow, after he was done playing, brought him in as a Cubs guy. He's the one who's very close with Sam Kennedy, the president, also listed as part of strategic sports group. Well done, Sam, you. Do you think that Theo will have more sway with the Red Sox or more sway with Tiger? Hmm. And Jay Monahan or Liverpool? Yeah, I think you're right. This is a straight Red Sox play. Bait and switch. We're gonna give a lot of different titles. We're gonna say a lot of different things. But hidden amongst it is that he's stepping down as consultant in Major League Baseball. And he was doing great there. All of the pitch clock stuff that he got credit for, not exactly his doing, all his doing. That's just incorrect. It's fantasy. Being an important name, analyzing rule changes and things that are going on, going to owner's meetings, hobnobbing with the general hoi polloi who can also attend those meetings from time to time. Stepping down, why is that? Generally, as you may know, unless there's a hostile takeover where an owner becomes interim commissioner, then sells his team and becomes commissioner, generally commissioners, baseball has learned, come from within the commissioner's office, like Rob Manfred. If you want to be commissioner, you don't leave the commissioner's office. Having experience with golf and Liverpool and racing and the Penguins doesn't help you get 23 votes when Rob steps down in a decade or so. So him stepping down was required because you can't work for a team and work for a league. It was bad enough when Jessica Mendoza worked for a team and the broadcaster, that wasn't really flying, but working for the league office and for a team, no chance, toilet pants. We would never allow that as a team to have someone in the commissioner's office have any ties to a different team because we would assume that there would be prejudice against us. So I'm very, very interested and how this is all gonna play out. John Henry had a very lovely statement. There's no question that Theo left an indelible mark on our history that represented a transformative era. 
With his strategic mind, leadership, and unwavering passion for sports, Theo brings invaluable assets that will drive us forward across diverse enterprises, especially in our sporting operations across hockey, EPL, and baseball. Why didn't he mention golf? Weird. Maybe he won't be invited into the meetings, or maybe he will not be the caddy for Tiger. What do you think? That John Henry's statement was going to be, hey, he's here back in the Red Sox. Theo said, no way, don't announce that. I want people to think I'm growing. Bigger responsibility, more responsibility. It really is a bunch of Harry Potter hogwash. I'm happy for Theo. I like him great. Bula bula. I just think that when people are trying to manipulate you and they're telling you things that are happening that aren't happening, I almost feel like it's my responsibility. Speaking of responsibility, we're going to take a break because we have to. Do we have any live reads from DraftKings today? Or does that not start for a bit? Coca, let me know. We're going to take a break. We're going to review three seasons of a show I watch called Slow Horses. And then we're going to talk about a fascinating lawsuit between the Jacksonville Jaguars and FanDuel that I think will be very interesting to everyone who loves DraftKings as much as I do. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425, right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal, the award-winning Nothing Personal. That's not going to get old, by the way. You know how 10 years later, when they do a movie trailer, and then it says who's starring in it? You can be nominated for an Academy Award, and they put an Academy Award nominee. But if you've won a Golden Globe, they'll put Golden Globe winner and Academy Award nominee, or just Academy Award nominee, they don't put Golden Globe nominee. I never liked being called a nominee, but I'm happy that Coca and I can be called a winner. So thank you for that and all you do on davidsampsonpodcast.com. All of the reviews, all of the ratings, all of the subscriptions, all the engagement, all of the merch. We got a picture from someone wearing merch in a foreign country, that made me happy. Yes, we ship everywhere. And I don't want to say Canada's foreign country because they're our neighbor, our World Cup neighbor. But thank you. All right, let's talk about, I am knee deep, I admit it. I am 
in the middle of a binge that is impacting my life in a positive way. I have designs to try to go find the island and lost, just go to Hawaii and disappear. As long as they have Wi-Fi, we can keep doing the show. It's not like we're in a live, we're in a studio or anything. And uh, in between though, I'm catching some movies because it's Oscar time. We are a little over a month away from the Academy Awards. Can't wait to announce our Academy Award plan to all of you. All we need before we announce our plans for the Sunday of Academy Awards is a plan for Sunday of the Academy Awards. But once we have that, there will be an announcement. Now, it may come on March 12th, but listen, let's not quibble. I watched Slow Horses, which is a show with Gary Oldman and Kristen Scott Thomas, Four Weddings and a Funeral, The English Patient. You know who she is. Gary Oldman plays a former MI agent or a current MI agent who is in charge of all the MI agents who do bad things, get punished and sent to detention and they're forced to do all the crap. Except they end up being better and smarter and more interesting than the actual agents who have not been demoted. Slow Horses was a show that I was told to watch by Coca and I demurred because I watched the first episode and then never got back to it. And then Coca had mentioned it again and I said, fine. And then I was addicted and watched all three seasons in a row. It is a fantastic thriller. One word of advice, subtitles. The accents are thick and you're not gonna wanna miss any of the quips of Gary Oldman, any of the conversation, because the story's brilliant, his lines are brilliant, the writing's fantastic. Overall, Apple TV Plus is worth it just for that. Although I love Coda and all the other stuff Apple TV Plus does as well, like Ted Lasso. I just watched Coca side note digression. Sometimes what I do, this is, um, I'm gonna just admit it to you because I love telling you things that are inside my brain. Are you ever feeling down and then you watch something that makes you cry or feel more down? Or you watch something amazing to try to see if you can laugh and feel great? When I'm feeling sort of glum or I'm feeling as though the weight of the world is on my shoulders, which I'm the most privileged, luckiest guy in the world, so it's ridiculous to ever feel that way, but you are, you feel what you feel. Several of the scenes from Tad Les Ted Lasso, uh, I watch over and over again. And one of them is the dart scene. The dart scene when Ted Lasso's throwing darts and he needs two triple 20s and a bullseye to beat uh, Rebecca's ex-husband, whose name escapes me at the moment, who is a central character to the show. And while Ted Lasso's throwing the darts, he's telling a story. And the story he's telling it is about being overlooked. It's about being judged. That one hits home. I'm only saying this because approximately two hours ago, oh no, it's 8.30, it's 8.29 right now. Approximately four hours ago, it was like 4.20 in the morning in between Lost episodes. I put on that. I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to feel something. Slow Horses, you may wanna check it out. I have zero feeling for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not that I don't like some of the people who work there, not that I haven't told you from the beginning that all the billions of dollars they want for a new stadium isn't a good idea. Not that I haven't mentioned that the Jaguars are really trying to become fully London's team, except it's NGTH. Not that I haven't mentioned 
that Trevor Lawrence may or may not be the second coming of Jeff Hosteller. But the Jacksonville Jaguars are involved in a lawsuit that I can't wait to tell you about. We did a segment in an episode earlier. Do you know we're almost at a thousand episodes, Coca? I'm, spoiler alert, on our thousandth regular episode, we've done more than a thousand, including sit downs and mailbags, et cetera. But on our thousandth regular episode, for those of you who have been with us since 500, go back and think about what happened or remember what happened episode 500, because it's gonna happen again at a thousand. So I don't necessarily feel badly. As a matter of fact, I would put it a different way. I have complete contempt for incompetence. Not my best trait. I'm not the most patient man in the world. I have frustration tolerance issues without a doubt. I feel zero for the Jacksonville Jaguars who had an employee who stole $22 million from them and then lost it all in gambling. Remember that story that we told you about that employer, about that employee? His name was Amit Patel. I don't think any relation to the star of Slumdog Millionaire, which we just reviewed last Thursday. I have not watched Silence of the Lambs yet, which I have to do again before Thursday, which I will, Coca, but I want to do it when the sun's out. So the Jaguars are upset that $22 million disappeared. So I just wanted to quickly tell you what it is to run a team, a sports team. If $20 million ever went missing while I was president of a team, not only would I fire everyone in his department, the person who stole it, not his cohorts, but his supervisor, his supervisor's supervisor, then anybody in the finance department who does budgets, actuals, who does the cash watch, you know, you get, you get cash reports. You know what your cash is. You know where it is. You know it's invested in short-term. You've got short-term treasuries. It's called cash management. $20 million doesn't just disappear. It's not like someone who steals a candy from the dish outside the boss's office, which are generally for public consumption, except mine if you don't use the spoon. So the Jaguars are despondent that they had so many levels of incompetence. So what they decided to do is said, we know it wasn't our fault. We're gonna sue FanDuel because we want our money back. They actually filed suit looking to get reimbursed the about 20 million bucks that he lost, this guy Patel of the 22 million he stole on daily fantasy and sports bets. So the Jaguars are saying, hey, would you do me a small, just do me a solid. Pay me back. What do you think about that? Let's talk about credit cards for a sec. Credit card fraud, when you check a credit card. Hey, that wasn't me buying gas in the middle of Kansas. That wasn't me at the Walgreens in Oregon. That wasn't me blank. Call up the credit card company. They cancel your credit card. You fill out a form. You say that it wasn't you and then you get reimbursed. Everyone's done it, it happens. Now, if you try to get reimbursed for something you did, the credit card company is gonna catch you because they know your purchasing habits. 
they know where you get gas. And if you're on a road trip getting gas, it's smart to call the credit card company and say, by the way, I'm in the middle of Idaho. You've never been to Idaho. I am now. It's like calling your credit card company to say you're going to Europe. Because if you all of a sudden show up in Europe and start buying clothes from a street vendor, there's gonna be a potential hold on your account because it's gonna get flagged. The way that FanDuel works and DraftKings is you deposit money into an account. It's like when you go to a sports book in Vegas or wherever sports books are legal, you can't just say, hey, give me 5K on the Lakers tonight. I'll be back to collect my money. No, you give them the 5,500, assuming it's minus 110 to 100, you give them the 5,500 and if you win, you get 10,500 back. Hey, I'd like a $50 win ticket on the number four horse in the seventh race. You gotta give 50 bucks. When you're betting on DraftKings or FanDuel, you deposit money from your account, from PayPal. You could deposit from wherever you want, but guess what? DraftKings gets your money, FanDuel gets your money. Then, should you desire, you wager it. If you win, there's more money put in your account. If you lose, your account is where it was after you placed the bet because they took the money out already. Does FanDuel check or DraftKings? upon the deposits once they're approved. Hey, this guy just deposited 50 grand, but we know for a living, he only makes 40 grand. That's so irresponsible. This may be dirty money. We're gonna check it. Do you think that's really what they're doing in their compliance departments? Now, you walk into a sports book at Great American Ballpark, you pull out a hundred grand of cash and say, I'd like to deposit this, and then I'd like to bet on Alabama against LSU in a college baseball game. Ding, 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 lights are going off. If you deposit a hundred grand into your account and it keeps replenishing because you keep losing, is that FanDuel's fault? What part of the gambling do you not understand? So the Jaguars are going to go to court or send a letter saying, please pay us back. And they're gonna say, dear sir, how could you not have known that Amit Patel didn't have $20 million and that he shouldn't be betting it and he probably got it from a bad place? It may have been drugs or it may have just been from fraud. Hmm, let me think. Well, because that's not my job. Now, of course, there's gonna be people who are gonna be tweeting at me at David P. Sampson and they're gonna be saying, no, no, David, that's not right. It is up to them to make sure there's no washing going on, no sports washing, no money laundering, no bouncer tied to be found. There's checks and balances, except there's no credit given. If you're a company that gives credit to somebody and you give too much credit to someone who is not worthy of such credit, whether it's in a casino for table games or whether it's a credit card company, why do you think a credit card company gives you a limit on your credit card? Because they know what you have in your bank. Why do you think casinos give you credit only up to the amount you have in your bank? Because if you don't pay your credit line, guess what? You've signed away your rights and they go into your bank account and they take it because it's not your money. You lost it. Now, if you have a credit line and you never gamble it, they don't go into your account. If you have a credit line and you gamble it and lose it, they take it. FanDuel and DraftKings said much better plan 
let's do a pre-deposit. Table games do that. You can walk into a casino with 100 grand of cash, go to the cage, say, put this on my account so then I can take markers up to 100 grand. No problem, you gave us the 100 grand, we'll give you back whatever you want at any time from your account. It's having money on account. Now, if Patel had walked in and put $20 million in the account of FanDuel to start with, a few flags are going to come up. That's not what happened. The likelihood of FanDuel paying a dollar to the Jaguars is very, very small. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna give you a second wait to see for today. We had one, I'm gonna give you a second. Wait to see. FanDuel doesn't pay the Jaguars back a penny. Wait to see. Nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Thunder 16 and a half over the Hornets on Friday night and the Thunder covered. We are 17 and 19. Did you see the Celtics Grizzlies game? I read last night, the Celtics I think were favored by 19 and a half. And I read that the Grizzlies had Samson, Coca, Sleepy, Dopey, Sneezy, and Droopy dressed and playing for them last night. How was the line only 19 and a half? It was like a rec league game. Anyway, we're 17 and 19. Tonight we're going with the Lakers 10 and a half over the Hornets, because I've told you the Hornets stink. And the Lakers, after they sort of hit a bottom and LeBron did an interview in a Nick towel, they beat the Knicks. They've, uh, they're, they're better, playing better. On the assumption LeBron and AD are playing, which I assume they are given that they're 10 and a half point favorites, although maybe 10 and a half means they're not playing Coca. Either way, that's our pick. Lakers 10 and a half over the Hornets. The people who are buying tickets to that game, I wonder whether they bought tickets for the sole purpose of seeing LeBron. And then if LeBron doesn't play, they'd be all upset. They'd want their money back. Load management style. I bought tickets to see the Sixers. I want to see him be. Don't let him get surgery yet. I want him playing. Yeah, Embiid's getting surgery. Done. I don't think he plays again the rest of the year, by the way. When you buy a ticket to a baseball game, do you have any idea what the lineup's gonna be? You look at starting pitchers and you hope, but there's scratches all the time. There's Sunday lineups on a Tuesday. You're buying a ticket because you wanna be at the venue, you wanna be at the game, you want the experience with the people you're with. Inter-Miami is on a tour of Saudi Arabia, various other places, remember there are China, Hong Kong, they're collecting. Remember I told you on a wait to see that they were gonna schedule another trip when they canceled their first trip because of injuries or issues, but they had to take Messi on the road because they've gotta make more money. It makes no difference to Jorge Mas, the owner of Inter Miami, that Forbes values them at a billion dollars now, zero. That and a dollar gets you on the subway 25 years ago. So to monetize Messi, they're on the road. They're doing international friendlies, an ironic name for places where they're playing where people are not all that friendly. As a matter of fact, they prefer to be prejudiced, racist, and kill people. That said, there was a big deal this weekend when Lionel Messi had an abductor issue and did not play against Hong Kong. And people were livid, booing, screaming, despite despondent, 
We're here to see Messi only. We're not here to see the other schnooks. We could give a flying rat's pituitary gland about Inter-Miami. We want Messi, Messi, Messi. Day before they had him on the pitch and he was with the second team. He did some warmups. Everything's coming up roses. They come in the gate, ready to go, no Messi. Can you imagine that the Hong Kong government, as it's called, got involved and the Hong Kong government released a statement about the fact that Messi did not play against the Hong Kong team? The government, that's what the government released. The government, as well as all football fans, are extremely disappointed about the organizer's arrangement. The organizer owes all football fans an explanation. The MSEC will take follow-up actions with the organizer according to the terms and conditions, which include reducing the amount of funding as a result of Messi not playing the match. All in, totally fine, totally kosher. When Inter-Miami is signing a contract to play a game in Hong Kong, the contract could very easily have the following provisions. The total amount of payment to Inter-Miami will be 2 million US dollars. Payable 1 million now, 1 million on your way back through customs. However, if Lionel Messi, who we will now define as a key person and party of this contract, if Lionel Messi does not play more than 12 minutes in the match, then the amount owed in the second payment will be 500,000, not a million. Totally legitimate. Totally fine. Then there's a deal between the promoter and the government because the promoter says to the government, hey, can I have money? And the government says, sure, we're happy to give you money, but Messi better play because we'll give you $4 million if Messi plays. We'll give you $3 million if he doesn't. Oh, Messi didn't play. Here's $3 million. It's all in the contract. All of this is normal and fine. So what exactly is all the uproar? Is it possible that Inter-Miami signed a contract with these organizers in Hong Kong where they didn't guarantee that Messi would play? Because if so, guess what? Inter-Miami is not gonna take one penny less than what they were guaranteed. Is it possible that the other side was so incompetent that they did a contract with Inter-Miami without that provision? Was Inter-Miami so incompetent that they signed a deal with a overwhelming amount of money coming to them if Messi plays and a less than overwhelming amount of money coming if Messi doesn't play. I say incompetent because depending on the amount, hey, a refund of hundred grand, no problem. A refund of a full refund, forget it. A refund minus the expenses of coming to Hong Kong, forget it. Profit is what Inter-Miami's after. I don't like any of these lawsuits that anybody files because they didn't get to see the players they thought they were going to see, that they didn't get the experience they thought they were going to get. We never promised you a rose garden. Oh, it's different. What do you think the people of China are there for? They're there only to see Messi. All right. Don't go to a sporting event if you're there to see one particular player because you never know what's gonna happen. The player could be injured, abductor. It's gonna be so great 
when they're fighting about money, both the organizer and the government and Inter-Miami and the organizer, where Inter-Miami has to prove that Messi actually was hurt, his abductor was hurt, that's why he didn't play. Maybe Messi was grumpy. Maybe he didn't want to play. Maybe he really is hurt, which is a bigger problem given the fact that the regular season, which should matter more to Inter-Miami, starts only in 16 days. The moral of the story is very easy when you are cutting deals to play exhibitions. I cut deals to play exhibitions all the time. Never guaranteed that our best players would play. We would say, yeah, we think we're gonna normally have our players take one or two at bats right before the end of spring training, let's say, but no guarantee. We paid the Yankees to come to Marlins Park. We didn't say you have to bring blank, whoever blank was at that time, I can't remember. When you are negotiating a contract, you've got to think of all these things. Because when it comes to player participation, it's just business to all the upset people in China and the angry government requiring explanation. It's nothing personal.